Success, is it really a secret? I don't think so. Join me as I interview guests from different cultures and backgrounds who have overcome incredible challenges to create the life they live today. Thousand likes, celebrity status, lots of money or big cars, these are things that come and go and do not define true success. So what is it? And most importantly, how do we create it? If you are a child, teen, or adult trying to understand how to achieve this word, then you are not alone and you won't want to miss a single episode of The Secret to Success Isn't So Secret. This is Christy Maggio, and the key is right here. It's not a great secret, so don't just listen. Learn and take action. Welcome, Rhea, to the Secret to Success Isn't So Secret podcast. I'm so happy to have you here uh, with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Christy. Thanks for having me. It's just a a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I I came across your story, and I want to start by kind of going with where you are today, because you are uh, a leadership speaker, you're a trainer, you're an uh, author, you've published multiple different books. And so I want to kind of start with where you are today. So when we kind of rewind to uh, to your your past, uh, people can see like, wow, um, and, and how you have created the life that you have today. So what is your mission and your vision of, of what you're doing um, at this moment as a trainer and a speaker and an author? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, you know what I what I really am on a mission to to do is to empower women to help them develop their leadership skills, increase their influence, and maximize their results personally and professionally. And really, my passion for that is driven by the fact that. The majority of our success, in fact, according to research, as much as 87% of our success in life is determined by our character, right? Our character is who we are. It's how we do what we do. And only 10 to 13% of our success in life and our influence with other people is determined by competency. Competency is our skills, our technical knowledge, our ability to do a job. Right now, that's important. We need that 10 to 13%, that, that skills and abilities. But it's how we do it that determines our success in life and our influence with other people. Right? Think of this from a personal perspective. I guarantee you, you carry your medical doctor graduated medical school, right? That's competency. He better have. But right. it's how he or she makes you feel that matters. Mm-hmm. And so I get excited about that because, you know, when you look at that, it's absolutely easy to see a character drive success. But nobody ever taught me about, you know, developing my character and how that could be so important to success. I spent years going to college learning competencies. But no one ever talks about character. And I think it's powerful, particularly for women. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important what you said there, because a lot of times, like you said, we are taught growing up all of the things that, you know, what we should know for what the career that we want to go into, all of this knowledge based on uh, a certain content area, but not the one that's most important. And I I think, and maybe you'll agree with me, that especially now at this point in time, when you and I were growing up, we had to have those face-to-face conversations and we couldn't just, you know, Mm. write it or text it or (laughs) 
get it, right? And so when you look at that, I think that's really important as one of the skills that's necessary for young people today um, is that, you know, what you said, that if if only 10 to 13% is your content knowledge, that's a really important um, skill that needs to be built. Um, And so what... Do you find that women or anybody that comes to you for for your advice on it, what do you find that you tell them to do first? You know, the the first and and the most important thing, and and I don't know that it's even first because it's something you do continually, right? But the foundational thing is, as I think we have to develop ourselves, you know, just be intentional about daily personal and professional growth. And what I mean by that is there again, just doing something daily to grow my character and develop it. You know, we absolutely have to develop our skills. Sure. Because, you know, the thing about it is you think of any time in life when you were mad or sad or upset or frustrated, I guarantee you, you were mad or sad or upset or frustrated because you didn't have enough influence in that situation, Mm -hmm. right? You wanted to influence someone to do something or you wanted to influence someone to not do something and you couldn't. And that's where the frustration comes in. And so I'm one of those people who I thought leadership was for the boss or the owner of a company, But leadership is influence. It's the ability to influence people. And every single one of us want to influence people. We don't want to just influence people at work, although that's important. How many of us want to influence our kids to make better choices in life? Same principles apply. And so, but what it comes down to is if I'm not intentional about developing those leadership skills, those skills of influence and my character that helps me do that more effectively, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's just like moving to a foreign country and not learning the language. It's really difficult to influence people if you don't learn the language. Leadership is the language of people. So the first thing I suggest women or men or, or anybody, I, I say, you know what, be intentional about developing those skills of influence in your character. Yes, I think that's, that's really important. Um, I think that, so if you were to, in, in developing those skills, would, I guess, um, being able to uh, have conversation Mm, absolutely one of of those skills um i'm imagining and how to have that conversation in a i don't want to say positive or negative way but in a way that you know you can get your point across or that you can be understood as well as the other person be understood i think what you just said there is important christy because you know communication and the ability to connect with people and have dialogue is critical for influence But here's the thing, and it kind of goes back to if you've ever heard of the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. Yes. Habit number five is seek first to understand and then be understood. And it's an incredibly powerful tool when it comes to communication, effective communication and influence. And yet most of us want to speak first, right? We want to be understood and then work on understanding the person. If we could develop ourselves and our character to just say, you know what? Hey, I'm willing to listen first. How, how powerful that is from an influence perspective. And, and most of the time if we're willing to listen first, we can, we can figure the rest out, right? Because if we listen first, the other person feels understood. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't agree with their perspective, they feel like we've heard them. We understand. We may not agree, but, but we understand. And so that validates them. And so it says, hey, you, you care about me enough to, 
to listen. And so most of the time, that's the power of com- connection and communication. And uh, the words that we say are not as important as, as how we say it. Right. And I think that's very true also as well in, in terms of understanding why people do what they do and creating tolerance and in, in a world where there's a lot of intolerance, mm. especially at this moment where as if people would listen and, and say, and say, well, you know, why do they think that way? You know, you're not just born that way. You, you think that way for a reason, whether it be passed down from generation to generation or whatever it might be, trying to understand um, where they're coming from, especially when it's something that's detrimental or harmful to other people or society and try and teach them that there might be another way as opposed to what they automatically think at this, at that moment and really listening. And I think that's such an incredible and important skill that is very, um, is not used as often as it should be today in, in listening uh, what other people have to say so that we can all understand why something is happening as opposed to just automatically reacting. Women tend to be, uh, by nature, a little more relationship-oriented. And, and that's not a feminist statement. It's just a fact. Women tend to be a little more nurturing as a general rule. Um, and that can be an incredible strength in influencing people. Now, it can also work to our detriment if we let that um, rule the relationship, right? But, but it can be an incredible strength. And I think that's one of the, the things that I've learned is that women have a lot of influence. I mean, men, men do too. There can be great men who are leaders. But women tend to influence in a different way and with a different style. Um, but we, we have incredible influence. But when we develop it, it can be huge. But there again, it comes down to I've got to work on me first. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a quote by Michael Josephson who said, you don't have to be sick to get better. Mm-hmm. Right? There's nothing wrong with any of us. You think of the number one athlete in any sport in the world today. They're practicing mm-hmm. to get better. There's nothing wrong with that athlete. They're just working to get better. And they better be because number two is out working to get better. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with us, but we don't have to be sick to get better, to grow and improve. And when we change ourselves, our world changes. Yeah, that is a fantastic quote, because if you think about it, no matter what it is, whether you're talking to adults, whether you're talking to young people who are struggling in something, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, you people might be good at one thing, but even, you know, I was just doing this the whole quick reading thing. And, you know, we all know how to read, but you can still even get better at reading, you know, even no matter at what age you are. And and I think that's so important to realize that practice in anything just allows you to get better. And like you said, it's not that you're, you're sick or you can't do something. You just practice makes everything, you know, everything better, good or bad. So I, I really like that. That's a great quote. You came from, um, from a very difficult childhood. As I came across your story, you had originally um, held it back for a great many years and then decided to come out with it um, 
after hearing uh, something that Les Brown had said. Mm -hmm. I, I love Les Brown as well. He's quite inspirational. Yes. And I think in it's so important that you came out with this because um, there are so many girls, women who have gone through this same scenario and same situation that you have and that are going through it today or have gone through it and don't know what to do to move mm -hmm. on. And so I'd like you to, to share, to share that story with, with, um, with the people, if you wouldn't mind. And so that we can understand because looking at you today and thinking about what you went through, um, it is quite a, a road and a journey of overcoming and of strength and of creating a life in which you want to, to help others with the same type of, of situation. So, um, Tell us a little bit about what happened to you uh, as a child. Um, sure. So um, I was a victim of sexual abuse. Uh, my father started sexually abusing me when I was 12 years old. And it progressed as I got older and he got much bolder. And by the time I was 17, he was regularly having sex with me and would bargain with me, you know, for sexual favors in exchange for something like a night out with my friends. And... Um, he always said he wanted to give me the the ultimate experience in life in his words and that looked like a lot of different things sometimes it was taking nude photographs of me sometimes it was tying me up and, and beating me black and blue with a riding crop and and then as I got even older it progressed to later trafficking me um, to men he would meet on the internet and there were, you know, there were times that, that life was almost not worth living. And I thought about it. I thought about a, a tub of warm water and a razor blade. Because going through that situation and just not having any hope that it would ever get better, right? I couldn't see a, a potential way out. I couldn't see that the future would be much different. And that's where we start to lose hope is when we, when we think that today's is good. You know, it's never going to get any better. Um, and you know, you're right. It's and my, my story is not, unfortunately not that uncommon for men and, and women, girls and boys, but, but my story is not everybody's story. But what I've realized is that every single one of us face adversity in life. If you haven't yet, you will, it, it's coming and we can take what life gives us and be bitter about it or better because of it. And um, when I was 19, I met my, I call him my knight in a shiny Camaro. And um, 20 plus years <laughs> later, we've long since traded the car, but I kept him. I, I married him. And, you know, he was the person that really gave me the courage to leave and to stay gone. And, you know, I left home at 19. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a high school diploma. I'd never been to school. I'd been homeschooled my, my whole life. And I had a duffel bag and a couple pillowcases of clothes and uh, a whole lot of whole lot of faith, right? A whole lot of hope. And um, you know, when I left that situation, I didn't want pe I didn't talk about it beyond a few um, family members and, and close friends. I didn't talk about what happened to me because I didn't want people to see me as a victim, right? I thought, you know what? I'll just 
lock up what happened to me in the closet and throw away the key. And I don't want to go back. I don't want to look back. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm tough. I'm a survivor. I'm just going to push forward. But that's not really healing, right? Because until I was ready to own my story, it owned me. And shoving it up in a closet doesn't mean we really heal from the, the grief and the, the shame and the, and the pain of that. And it wasn't until 2013, um, more than 13 years after I left home, I, when I heard Les Brown speak, and he was speaking to a whole room full of people. And he said, you have a story to tell and someone needs to hear your story and you can help that person. And I thought, I've got a story to tell, but I don't want to tell it. I worked really hard to forget it. Um, but, you know, it took me a couple of months to realize that if I share my story and I help someone, then that gives me purpose for having come through that, right? It gives me the the why. Because I think a lot of times when we go through adversity, our natural human response is to question, why me? Why did I have to go through this? This is painful. This is awful. This is bad. And realizing and sharing my story, I turned what was a horrible, bad thing into something positive because I don't share my story so people will feel sorry for me. I share my story so that every other person who's going through a tough time can look at me and say, if she can overcome what she went through, so can I, right? right? If I can bring people that, that hope to say, you know what? What happens to us affects us and it influences us. There's no doubt. I'm a different woman today because of what I went through. What happens to us influences us, but it doesn't determine us. And that's our, our greatest freedom in life is realizing that we don't have to make bad choices the rest of our life because of something that we encountered or experienced, right? We, we all start somewhere and... You know, I didn't get a head start in life, but but look at where I'm at now. I mean, it's a lot of transformation. It's a lot of growth. And I didn't get here by accident, but just moving forward, like one step at a time, one step at a time. Yes. And and I think I remember when we had when we had spoken prior to, to doing the interview, you know, you had mentioned how, you know, this was kind of your calling, your your divine purpose, your mm -hmm. Um, you know, your faith is what got you, um, got you through this. However, in hindsight and looking at that, it was something that your dad also used kind of as a, as a pawn in the same time to make you believe that it's what God wanted. And so how were you able to decipher kind of between between the two because I know a lot of times people tend to try and control and manipulate other people through a God or religious perspective when we know that that's not true and that's not the case. Mm. Um, how do you feel that you were able to to say, you know, I know that this is this is not God's will. This didn't happen because this is what he ultimately wanted to happen to me. Mm. Um, that's a good question. And I, it almost might be two different questions. So let me speak to the first part first. Um, I, I, I didn't have a hate and resentment after I left. Um, I, I couldn't have 
articulated that I couldn't have told you that in so many words, but I knew intuitively that holding on to hate and bitterness was only going to pull me down. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what I determined when I left was that person is, is not going to have one single minute more of my happiness. And I'm not going to give them that power. I, I'm not going to give somebody else the remote control to my emotional channel, you know, um, but there again, I couldn't have, I couldn't have told you that. I just knew it intuitively. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to put it behind me. Um, but I don't think I really was able to then get to the point of reconciling God's purpose and God's plan with my pain. Mm-hmm. And I like to say now, God doesn't cause the pain in our lives, but he can use it, right? But we have to be willing to to let that happen. And I don't think I was able to get to that point until I started sharing my story. Because in sharing my story, you know, there again, until I was willing to own it, it owned me. And until I was willing to say, yes, it it's there and it's painful and it's hurt. You know, it hurts. It's left a scar. But until we're willing to do that and go through the healing process, I I don't think it's I don't think we really can accept that, you know, bad things happen and God can use them for good because, you know, there again, we tend to doubt God. We tend to question why, and that's perfectly human, right? Our, it's, it's, and, you know, Stephen Covey talks about the difference between being proactive and reactive. And to me, the way I understand that is we're human, right? We all have emotions and feelings And when bad things happen, they hurt. They're painful. It's a trial. And it's natural to have emotions and feelings. But we don't have to make our decisions and our choices and live our life based on those emotions in the moment. Right? We can be reactive to the emotions in the moment, but that doesn't always serve us well. I know I'm not the only one who's said something or done something in the heat of the moment and then later gone, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Right. But we're human. Those emotions are there. There's nothing wrong with that. But being proactive is recognizing that those feelings of hurt or grief or anger are there. But I don't have to to respond based on those. I can look long term and say, pause and let me choose a better response for myself. And there again, that took me quite a few years to, to get to the point of saying, "Okay, I can. I can choose how I respond to this terrible thing. And I I don't think I got there until I started sharing my story. I don't think I was able to um, until I started sharing my story. Now, as you're growing up and all of this is happening around you, did nobody know how, you know, you said you were homeschooled. So that is one way to be able to, to not have to deal with the everyday people. You had friends, but again, nobody really knew at that moment what what was going what was going on and what do you think it was that that was kind of like the the tipping point i guess were there things in your mind that you wanted to do at that point in time i'm just trying to to make that connection for perhaps girls that are going through that situation now what would you tell them Hmm. So, you know, number one, you know, I always knew, you know, we, we have an innate sense of this isn't right. Right. And I, I knew that. And at some point 
made that realization that that this is not right this is not normal right when you're when you when you grow up in that type of an environment and particularly with a lot of psychological manipulation it took me some time to to get to that point and realize just how how bad my situation was and you know i was desperate to get out and i ran away from home more than once and you know dad would always find me and and come get me and you know I didn't have a lot of options I didn't have any any way to get out really um and and there again carrying so much fear and and shame the most difficult thing for people who've never been in that environment is to understand well well why didn't you leave you know why didn't you leave you know at that point I was 19 um and there's so much emotional Um, manipulation that goes on in a situation like that that it's really difficult to comprehend if you have you know if you haven't experienced it it's the same question we ask a lot of times in domestic violence cases why doesn't she leave why you know Um, and I think what it comes down to is that when you've gone through something like that you know I had absolutely no sense of Mm self-worth or self-love because there was that you know, the world tells us or holds up an image of saying this is what a, a good person is, or this is what a, you know, what a virtuous person is. And, you know, for someone who's going through a victim like that, particularly with um, a, a sexual crime, there's that disconnect between what the world says and that feeling of shame. You know, shame is, guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am the mistake right there must be something wrong with me if this terrible thing keeps happening to me it must be it must be my fault it must be something i did it must be that i'm you know there's something wrong with me and so i think until you're able to help that victim realize that that no just because something terrible happens doesn't mean that you are terrible Mm -hmm. and that's really a mindset shift and and you know we can we can try to help that person. We can try to help them build their self worth and self esteem. At the end of the day, I, I think there are only three factors that that determine it. The first is that realization that I control that, right? That realization that I can be proactive in response to what happens to me, and no one else can do that for me. Um, it's powerful when we realize we control our emotions. But we still have to do it. You know, it, it's tough to do. It says easy, harder to do. Absolutely. But that's that's the first thing. And the second is that um, we have to have a strategy for moving forward. You know, hope isn't a strategy. We got to have hope t- to get a strategy, right? We've got to figure out how am I going to either physically get out of the situation right now? That's the first step. But then mentally, how can I move forward? How can I heal and move past that? And the third thing that that helps um, determine that is our social our social support. Um, we as people form some sense of ourselves, some part of our self image, based on the people around us, right? We get some sense of our identity from our environment as we grow up, our parents or grandparents or teachers or whatever. And when we go through trauma, that sense of self is just shattered, and we have to recreate it. Mm-hmm. And having the right supportive people can be very powerful in helping us do that. And having the wrong people can also just just tear us down. The other thing, Christy, I think, too, it's easy to, you know, particularly with um, an abusive situation or child abuse situation or um, particularly when it's a family member, perhaps even more so, is that 
that abuser will prey on the victim and, you know, you don't want to get me in trouble, do you, you know, and that, and that really, you know, when it's somebody, a, a child or teenager has faith in and, and loves and cares for, you know, it's very tough to disconnect that. And yeah, you know, that, that victim doesn't want the person to get in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at, at that, that level. And so it's, it's tough to disconnect that particularly when you're, especially when you're young, I think that that's really difficult to, to, to be able to separate that and say, you know what, this, even so there, sometimes there are consequences for our actions and you need to, to go through the consequences for these actions. They're wrong. Now you said that you had run away a couple of times and, and finally you, you broke free, but those few times your dad came and he found you and was able to get you to come back. Cause also I think at that point you didn't know where to go or what to do. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and there again, it's like you said, you kind of touched on that and that's interesting. Cause I talked about that on a podcast recently, you know, as bad as my situation was, it was a known situation. And I think as humans, we have a fear of the unknown, right? It's, it's not knowing the future. If the future looks different, it's scary. Like we, we don't know. And so it's, it's as bad as the situation was, it, it was something I knew. And to step out from that into the unknown took an incredible amount of, of being willing to face that fear and say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to risk it. I'm going to chance it. And for me, that catalyst was, was Mac, my, my now husband of, you know, well, we've been together more than 20 years. And because I, I needed that person who believed in me, who cared about me for me, who was willing to, to say, you know what, this isn't right. It's like, you don't have to, you know, come with me, but you can't go back home. This situation is, is bad. And um, that really, he, you know, he gave me the the courage to, to do that and to stay, you know, to stay away. Um so it's easy for me there again, I'm incredibly blessed and fortunate because there are people who prey on victims who leave one situation and then they end up somewhere with someone who's just as bad in perhaps a different way. And, you know, God certainly blessed me. Somebody once told me that they said, uh, God's going to give you a double measure. I said, you don't understand. He already has. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, I, there again, I, I think I'm just incredibly blessed and I can look back at that, my transition and my transformation. And for me, I'm, it's easy to see God's hand in my life and say, you know what, there again, God didn't cause that situation in my life, but he is using it in incredible ways. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so now, you know, coming back to light of of what you have, how you have transformed your life. And it's kind of like, you know, you did name one of your books, if I recall correctly, Beauty for Ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really a significant uh, statement in, you know, for, for people of faith. And, uh, and so what, what does that mean to you? Well, the, the term is uh, in the Bible. So, you know, that's where it came, comes from. But you know, the Bible verse specifically talks about God will will give take our ashes and give us beauty for it. And I think a lot of times we expect that to happen literally, you know, and and I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means a lot of times is that 
we receive something much more beautiful. But a lot of times it doesn't look like what we expect. You know, from from my perspective, it would be easy to say, you know, God, just take this emotional pain away. You know, just take that away from me. Right. That would be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Take these ashes of my of my past and get rid of them and give me, you know, some something else in return. But instead, you know, I still have, you know, I still have a, a, a I'm still affected emotionally by what I went through. Right. But the beauty in this case is being able to take that and and share openly with other victims of abuse or or um, women and girls who've been trafficked and give them hope because I can stand in front of them today and they go, wow, that could be me. You know, a lot of them want to write a book or they want to be a therapist and help others. And so the the beauty that I think in this perspective is that there again, something that could be horrible and, and terrible, you know, it's choosing to view it in a in a, a different light. I use the analogy of, you know how a, a, a photographer with a very fancy camera has this ginormous lens, you know, and they when they're taking a picture, they can focus on the, the foreground mm-hmm. and the background would be fuzzy, or they could focus on the background and the foreground would yeah. be fuzzy. It's the same elements in the in the picture in the frame, just choosing what we focus on, and you know all of us have adversity and pain and, and hardship at some point, and it's learning that we don't ignore the problems and they don't go away. We're right. just choosing to shift and, and focus on the blessings that mm-hmm. we have, and that's what gives us the ability to be resilient. Right, and I think that sometimes, a lot of times, you know, we look at these different situations that we may deem as negative in our lives, but yet at that moment, we think that it's, you know, something horrible or, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? And, you know, a pastor that I listen to, he often says, it's not a set, it's not a set, it's not a setback, it's a set up. Mm. If that didn't happen to you, if that negative situation, quote unquote negative, if that um, what you perceive at that moment as a negative situation didn't happen to you, then something better may not have necessarily come along that you see down the road. Your scenario has allowed you to help probably many, many, many more people than you know, and your example of strength and and courage in doing this allows other young girls or women to say, you know what, if she can, I can too. And so without that experience, you wouldn't necessarily be the person that you are today. Mm -hmm. So now let's go back and talk about just uh, kind of to wrap things up here a little bit. You um you talk about leadership and the power of influence, which we had talked about at the beginning, um, and we kind of talked about those skills. But let's say someone is going through a difficult struggle right now, like many are going through difficult struggles at this moment. Um, what would you say or tell them is a first step? for them to kind of take away today to say, you know, they say, wow, she can do it. I can do it. But where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. 
Um, the first thing is, is getting rid of what I call the victim mindset, right? And it's Hal Elrod said, who said, the moment I take ownership for everything in my life is the moment I can change anything in my life. Now, what that means is not that, that we cause bad things to happen in our lives a lot of the times, right? We don't choose our circumstances. We cannot control a lot of times the things that happen. Bad things just happen. Um, but there again, I've got to take my res responsibility for how I respond, right? That's a mindset shift that says X, Y, Z happened. How am I going to respond? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, a lot of times we let what happens to us hold us back. We create a victim mindset and we use it as an excuse or a limiting belief for why we can't go do, be, and have what we want in life. And it's easy, right? It's easy to blame someone or something else because we don't have to do anything right. to fix it, right? As long as I'm blaming someone or something else for where I'm at in this moment, I don't have to do anything to change it. It's somebody else's fault. It's something else's fault. So what I have to take responsibility for are the choices that I make and, and choosing my response. If I'm responsible, I am response-able, now I'm responsible for the choices that I make. And so, no, I don't get to, to control everything that happens, but I always control me and saying, okay, you know, if I focus on what I can do instead of what I cannot do, then I'll find that I can do more of it. But the very first step is saying, I'm not going to be the, the victim here. Things happen. I'm going to move past that. I just have to figure out how. Uh, and there again, it's easier to say than, than do. Um, we all get hungry, right? You cannot control the fact that you get hungry. But you control what you put in your mouth in response to being hungry. That's a choice that we make. Now, that's just one simple analogy. Um, but, uh, you know, we choose our attitude, either consciously or not. We choose, you know, how, what do we do when we get up in the morning? Do we choose to, to think of positive affirmations? Do we choose to start our day in a, in a positive routine? Do we choose habits that don't serve us well to cope or numb emotional pain? But then long term, they tend to just compound over time. Good habits compound or bad habits compound. We choose our habits. And, uh, you know, it's... Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, I am who I am today because of the choices that I made yesterday. Well, that means that who you want to be tomorrow is based on the choices that you're making today. And it's powerful because we realize that we can make better choices at any moment. And we don't have to get it right 100% of the time. You just have to just, just focus on this moment. I love one of the things that, that you, that one of the things that I read that you had said, and it's actually a quote from, from Mark Twain mm -hmm. uh, that I never heard before. And so I, I really, um, I, I loved it. And it, it was that um, two of your greatest days is the day you were born and the day we discover why. Because when we discover our passion, it's our greatest joy, you know, our purpose, our greatest joy is fulfilling that purpose. But I guarantee you, when you discover your purpose in life, it's always in some way going to be connected to helping someone else.